0: Welcome to Jackman Radio. I am your host, Mike Jackman, and today I am joined by the fearless, intrepid journalist, author, and reporter, Nick Bryant, author of The Franklin Scandal, as well as a book about the D.C. Madam, and a new forthcoming book about the Epstein case. And remind me what that book's going to be called, Nick? Actually, the forthcoming book is
1: called uh, The Truth About Watergate, A Tale of Extraordinary Lies and Liars.
0: Oh, Watergate. Okay. So I, so I made a mistake. Before we were on air, I thought you were saying you had a book coming out about Epstein, but you've done awesome. Well, I mean, you've been.
1: I've, I've launched a, an initiative called Epstein Justice.
0: Oh, okay. And, and you've been looking in the Epstein case since like 2012, right?
1: Yeah. With Epstein Justice, what we want is um, people to demonstrate. We want to go after the perpetrators in the Epstein case.
0: Because that's the thing with the Epstein case. Obviously, he's been dead since 2019. Glenn Maxwell is incarcerated. Uh, but, you know, like the meme always says. Mike, Jack, do you want to take it from the top? Yeah. we Well, we're live. I mean, we can just uh, okay. Okay. we kind of went right. We went right into it. But, uh, yeah, Nick Bryant, um, I've wanted to have you on for a long time. I've been a big fan of your work. Um, you know, you, you're you're an inspiration to a lot of people who have come after you in this uh, online, you know, podcast sphere. And I'm glad to see that you know it's it's picking up some steam. Um, you, you know, Nick's been on uh, El Chapo Trap House. You've been on Tim Dillon. Uh, you've podcasted with Whitney Webb. You've had many survivors from the Franklin scandal on your excellent podcast, the Nick Bryant podcast. And why don't you just tell us a little bit about that show and kind of what you're you're doing, um, you know, in that field? Well,
1: um, it's interesting how I I jumped into the 21st century. Um, Uh, A young woman had read the Franklin scandal, and she sent me an email saying that she'd like to meet me. And um, now I've had those emails over the years, and uh, some of them are from people who should probably be on psychiatric medication. And, um, but then some of them sound perfectly sane. So, um, and if they sound sane, I meet them at a restaurant that's very close to my apartment. So I live in New York City, so I can jettison. (laughs) You know, if, if the dialogue gets a little too crazy. So uh, I met her. She was a nice young woman. And she said, you know, you, don't, you have no online presence. And I said, yeah, I'm, a, I'm kind of a troglodytic Luddite. And um, so she offered to build a website for me. I, I didn't even have a website. And um, so and she built a nice website. And her boyfriend does a lot of production stuff, and then they offered to help me with a podcast, and I said, "Okay, I'll I'll do it." And so I'm I'm I've fully leaped into the uh, 21st century at this point. Um, about probably 20 years too late, but you know, at least I'm there. Better late than never.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Nick. I mean, your your work, like I said, has inspired so many people, and. Uh, you know, one thing I wanted to ask you about, and I saw this in one of your podcasts recently or an interview you did. Um, of course, when True Detective came out in 2015, I was like, whoever wrote this or did this has dug into the Franklin scandal. And I've I've been looking at the Franklin scandal probably since high school, uh, which is, you know, probably not good psychologically for in your teens to start looking at this stuff. But it's not good if you're in your 30s, 40s or 50s either. There's no age where it's good. And this is a very dark, dark subject, but it's a very important subject. And, of course, with, you know, Sound of Freedom and other things out there, it's in the news. But you got to do so much sussing to get down to the real stuff. And that's what you've done, Nick, with your research and your on-the-ground work. And so I watched True Detective Season 1, you know, been a fan of that show for years. And then I saw you made a comment recently where you actually contacted Nick Puzoletto on the phone, or you talked to him? Yeah, or?
1: I'm good at getting unpublished cell phone numbers.
0: <laughs> yeah. You don't, want, you don't want Nick Bryant looking into you guys. He's going to get in touch. He <laughs> didn't
1: seem – well, you know, a lot of times they're saying, how did you get my number? How did you get my number? And I said, well, you know, I'm an investigative journalist. That's one of the tricks of the trade. And um, But I was asking him – actually – The Franklin scandal was mentioned in True Detective,
0: and I thought season three, I think. What's that? It was more explicitly mentioned in season three, I think.
1: Season two, yeah, it was explicitly mentioned in season
0: two, and um,
1: I thought to myself, well, since he mentions it, I might as well see if he wants to do something with it, and uh, so I called him up, and he said he only does fiction, so even though. a lot of True Detective was lifted from the Franklin scandal. I mean, that's my opinion.
0: I think so, too. I mean, at the end there were, sorry, spoiler alert, eight-year spoiler alert, you know, when Woody House was like, I don't think we got all of them in McConaughey's. Like, we're talking about governors and people way up who are so connected. You know, McConaughey's this niche-spewing kind of like, uh, you know, intellectual brooding detective. But, you know, beneath that character facade, this, the, the actual meat of the story it just screams Franklin Scandal. So that was surreal to see that on such a large platform on HBO. Um, you must have been kind of freaking out on the inside or been like pleasantly surprised when you first saw that. What was your reaction when you first saw True Detective? Well, people had told me
1: that True Detective had lifted stuff for the Franklin Scandal before I even watched it. And, um, and then I watched it and I thought, yeah, they were right.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, whatever form it comes out in, but, you know, I think the podcast form is is ultimately going to win the day with the information getting out there. But just you've to give our audience a little bit on the Franklin scandal, I know we're kind of jumping around a lot. Um, I'm sure there's people watching who are very familiar with it, but I'm sure there's some people who this is might be the first time they're hearing about it. Can you maybe just kind of give a little bit of information about that, how you got into it and what, what, what kind of the crux of it is?
1: Well, it's kind of interesting. Um, I'm a journalist, writer. I live in New York City, and I was pitching a Rolling Stone editor about first stories, and um, he said, "Pitch me dark stories," because I'd written about like serial killers and Hells Angels and um, and the Mafia, and I. So he saw that I was kind of adept at dancing in the dark. And, you know, I, dark stories. I mean, I threw my arms up there and said, I mean, what do you want? Nazi Satanists. I mean, what do you want? And, uh, and then it's he did a Typical gave Tuesday night. Die, and he said, Satanists. So that's what I decided to check out. I, I had a simple plan I was going to meet some Satanists, interview them, go to a black mass, write an article, and then um, get a paycheck. But what is often the case when somebody is looking at a story is they they surf the web and look for tangential information. And I came across a U.S. Customs Report that was about the finders. And two of the finders were busted in a Tallahassee. The finders had a warehouse in Washington, D.C., but two of the finders were busted with six kids that were just obviously abused, ragamuffins, um, and concerned Tallahassee police, Tallahassee citizens could called the police, and the police took one look at these two guys,
0: and
1: one one look at the kids, and they immediately arrested the uh, guys, and they were indicted on multiple counts of child abuse, and a doctor said that, uh, and then the children were put in protective services, and uh, a doctor had said that um, two of the children had signs of sexual abuse. So the D.C. police um, called the Tallahassee police as soon as they heard about this, and they said, you know, we've been working on the finders for a long time. There's, an, um, there's a homicide um, that we can that seems to be point twor- towards the finders, and we've been told that they've done, quote, unquote, blood rituals with children. So ultimately what happened is that U.S. Customs and the uh, Washington, D.C. police executed a search warrant on the Finder's warehouse in Washington, D.C., and the reason why U.S. Customs was there is because I think that there was some child pornography in the band, and they certainly came across uh, child pornography. And this was a, a huge, huge story, and you've got this cult that's trafficking children, and you've got three... Law enforcement in these blocks—you got the DC police, you've got the Tallahassee police, and then you've got U.S. Customs. And um, ultimately, I, I wrote a book called *The Franklin Scandal*, and this is what got me into it. And we put the whole report, U.S. Customs report, in the book—the entire report—just to show people that uh, that this is really. But what happened was on the last page of the report. The uh, uh, U.S. Customs Officer, Ramon Martinez, says this case has now become an internal CIA case and no, invest- no further investigation will be involved. A CIA internal matter and no further. Inv- and, and that just, I mean, that kind of short circuited me. I, I thought I knew how the world worked, but with that case, I mean, I was, I was stunned. I was, I was stunned why the CIA was going to bat for child molesting.
0: Yeah, that's and, really bizarre.
1: And that opened up my mind to things that I, my, my mind wouldn't have readily been open to. And I ultimately traveled to Nebraska. Now, um, the internet was replete with stories of something like that happening in Nebraska. and. Um, So I went to Nebraska and I was pretty skeptical. I got to admit, I try to approach everything agnostically, but I was pretty skeptical. And um, now with Nebraska, it was uh, what was said about it was it was an interstate pedophile network that um, was hooked up to intelligence, that uh, was hooked up to blackmail, that was plundering Boys Town for underage prostitutes. So, I mean, that U.S. Customs report on the finders kind of opened that door, but I was still, you know, still skeptical. But I was willing to, to check it out, and um, I was there a week. And I came across some documents, and I talked to some players, and uh, I had a death threat, and I was followed. And uh, and then I realized after, and when I was talking to people about this, it was. This was in two thousand two. It was like I was talking to, like I was doing a, a KG, uh, expose on the KGB in Stalinist Russia. There were a lot of people that were terrified <clears throat> to talk to me. And um, and then after I got the documents and I talked to a, uh, one of the victims and someone who had been a blackmail photographer and just a, a number of other people, um, I concluded that it was true. And um, I went back to New York,
0: pretty stunned. Yeah, one of the people you, you mentioned, the blackmail photographer—that's Rusty Nelson, right? Who yeah. so you were—you ended up um, going on a, a trip to Colorado, or trying to uh, yes. find or, or or locate photographs or evidence that he said that he had. Um, now, is this the same fellow that Gary Caridori was visiting to, yes. to get? Yes. Okay, so yeah, what's what's I mean that so. There had to have been some uh, trepidation or fear, I mean, kind of going down that track. Um, Um,
1: There was a... Okay, so what happened with the Franklin scandal is social services personnel had reports of an interstate trafficking network, child trafficking network. And they went to uh, state law enforcement, and they went to federal law enforcement, and they were just simply ignored, and nothing happened. So... Lawrence E. K. There were two pimps in this network, uh, Lawrence E. King and Craig Spence. King lived in Omaha, Spence lived in uh, Washington, D.C. And King had the Frank- was manager of the Franklin Credit Union that gave loans to lower socioeconomic people. It should have had about $2.5 million in it. But King embezzled $40 million from it. And ultimately, what happened, and it hadn't been audited in four years. And federally insured credit unions have to be audited every year. So the Nebraska Senate formed a subcommittee to look into the Franklin, uh, how King, Lawrence C. King was able to embezzle $40 million and why it hadn't been audited. And um, so they formed this committee, and then these social service personnel came to them and said, That's only part of the story. King is running Interstate Pedophile Network. And ultimately, the, the uh, subcommittee hired Gary Caridori, who was an amazing investigator, and he met up with one of the blackmail photographers. His name is Rusty Nelson in Chicago, and Nelson gave him some pictures. And Caridori was flying back to, and I've got five corroborations. I mean, Nelson um, isn't the paragon of ethics, given what he has done, um, but. I've got four other corroborations that Caradore got pictures in Chicago, and he was flying back to uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, and his plane kind of exploded in midair, and he was killed, and his son was killed.
0: Yeah. So I mean, this this yeah, this stuff's real. People, like we were saying earlier, um, there's stuff that poisons the well out there, and a lot of it's online. There's no source for it. There's anonymous message boards. There's the poison in the well with the QAnon stuff. So when you bring this stuff up, people think, oh, this is too fantastic to be real. Um, but, you know, we have Barney Frank. There was a ring being run out of his apartment. And he said, oh, I had no idea about it. It was my roommate or it was a person. Actually, it was
1: it a, was person. a young lover that was running an escort service out of his apartment.
0: Right. And he had no idea. We believe that. And then, of course, there's, you know, there's this former speaker of the house, Denny Hastert, who a judge called a, uh, you know, a serial uh, child predator. And I really feel like a lot of these stories that are actually real and documented and, and have, you know, corroboration, which, you know, you mentioned, it gets swept under the rug or it gets kind of put, you know, on page eight in small print. And then we have stories about, you know, UFOs and UAPs kind of distracting everybody. or or whatever the news of the day is. So this real stuff, which is actually explosive, just kind of gets kind of, you know, kind of buried and, uh, you don't really hear about it ever again. So do you feel like, because Larry King, he ultimately went down for the financial stuff and, uh, not, nothing related to trafficking. Do you feel like even to this day, he still has entities protecting him?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, King did about 10 years in prison, and then he had a no-show job waiting for him at a BMW dealership in outside of Washington, D.C., in Virginia. And King has inveigled himself into like three organizations that would give him access to children. And I've gotten him kicked out of all three. Now, I know that there are people in the government that know that he's a super predator, but They've just allowed him to prey on children and keep invigling himself into these organizations. And what's really a tragedy about this, it's a, it has to be a journalist to protect the children when there are people in the government that fully know what he's about.
0: And you actually got him on the phone once, right? Didn't you call him or you, you, you tracked down his number? or
1: Called him, but he said he wasn't
0: him. So apparently he didn't want to talk to me. Yeah. I don't think Larry likes me too much. Do you think he still has compromise on, on politicians and powerful people, and that's why they're protecting him, or, or, or is it because they're, like, what do you think it is, like, what's the heart of the matter?
1: Um, I think he did good service for some dark malignant corner of our intelligence that compromises people, and Craig Spence committed suicide. I think that Craig Spence was given the option either to kill himself or he'd be killed. Um, and there were a number of people that are involved in the Franklin scandal that killed themselves. But I think King was told if he kept his mouth shut um, then he'd get out of prison, and there'd be a no-show job waiting for him. So uh, and he's obviously still, prote- I mean, still protected. I mean, the government is letting him inveigle himself into organizations that have given him access to children. I mean, a super predator like him.
0: Yeah, the, the, the information and details in your book about him and what he did, is, it's just truly horrifying. I don't even want to repeat it on the show, but, um, you know, for people interested, you know, please check out the book, The Franklin Scandal, and the one previous to that by John DeCamp, the Franklin cover-up, and in your book, you detail meeting with John DeCamp, um, but by that time, he seemed to be pretty, maybe not jaded, but like, hey, I've been through this, and, you know, you know, good luck, and stay safe, basically.
1: Yeah, I mean he he was helpful with some documents. Uh, John DeCamp was a very flawed man, but uh, but he helped me a little bit.
0: Yeah. So with Rusty Nelson, he 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 never ultimately produced any evidence for you, or it was kind of like a, ended up being a wild goose chase after you got pulled over.
1: Rusty took me on a wild goose chase, and that uh, was kind of interesting. We did get pulled over by. Nebraska State Patrol, who were one of the the law enforcement entities that covered up the Franklin scandal, and uh, Nelson uh, and I, I mean, we were just summarily escorted out, and um, I was deposited in a police car, and Nelson was deposit, deposited between two police cars, and they ripped my rental car apart. <laughs> you know? So they were obviously looking for something. And um, Nelson told me, as ever they ripped my rental car apart, um, he said, do you know how lucky you are when we were driving away? And he, what he meant by that is, you are very lucky you didn't get pictures because bad things would have happened to us. So,
0: Yeah, God, that's hairy. And so Craig Spence was really the D.C. East Coast, you know, uh, part of this whole deal, um, and in you know, in your research and and I've read, he was given access to the White House for late night tours. Um,
1: yes, actually, he took uh, male escorts on late night tours of the White House.
0: When uh, when Bush yeah. Senior was president. What's that? When Bush Senior was president, right? Or, or Reagan? Yes. yes, Bush Senior. Bush Senior. Okay, I'm I'm sorry to not need to interrupt.
1: Spence was uh, also a nasty piece of work, and he had a mansion in uh, the Kalorama section of Washington, D.C., and he was a CIA asset, and there were, he would throw parties, and there were uh, every room in his, uh, in his home was worried for audiovisual blackmail. So he was like, what we're seeing with the Epstein case, where every home that Epstein had, had uh hidden cameras same thing with Spence
0: yeah he was kind of like the proto Epstein
1: yes uh or one of many Epsteins I think (laughs) and and the thing is like there would be outright parties that would be just filled with children and debauchery but he was also a blackmail artist like like Epstein and um he would have parties where the cream of the crop would be invited to these parties. Um, the upper echelon of politicians, the upper echelon of captains of industry, of media, and it would just be like a straight Washington, D.C. cocktail party. And at maybe 10 or 11 after people had been plied with a lot of alcohol, someone would do something sexually inappropriate or someone would spark up a joint or break out a line of coke or something like that. And the people that were appalled by that would split. And then the people that stayed, they would be compromised.
0: Yeah. So he had everything being filmed uh, behind a one-way mirror, right? He had like all this equipment, like video cameras, and
1: well, he had a bunch of monitors in a room that was behind a one-way mirror.
0: Yeah, and that's that reminded me you you know you're talking about the finders. That didn't the finders have like a bunch of equipment and monitors and and, and uh, their own like like an intelligence apparatus with like uh, printouts coming in and, and just like up to date information in in a, in a room.
1: Yeah, there was uh, there was printouts coming out about. Uh, said keep the kids moving um, through various law enforcement jurisdictions. So that message must have been coming to a number of uh, computers. or or That's what U.S. Customs concluded. And what's kind of uh, mind-boggling about that, that was in 1987. So they had some pretty amazing technology for 1987.
0: Yeah, even back then. I mean, imagine what it they, what they what it looks like now. Now that Epstein's, you know, that's been pinched, and obviously this doesn't stop with Epstein. I mean, there's other, there's got got to be other stuff going on here in America and globally. Like, they've probably had to change some tactics, but I, I don't know. Now that a lot of this has been exposed, I mean, do you feel like it's it's gone even more underground, or you know, what do you but think? How
1: has it been exposed? I mean, it it really, I mean. Franklin was successfully covered up, Um, two grand juries said that there was no child abuse. And I I don't know if your listeners or viewers are familiar with the grand jury process, but in the grand jury process, it's notorious to corrupt, because a special prosecutor is chosen, and then he is the one that presents evidence to grand jurors, and grand jurors are just people that have shown up for jury duty and been funneled to a grand jury. So it's up to the special prosecutor to call the witnesses and show the evidence. So if the special prosecutor wants an indictment, he'll get them to indict. If he doesn't want an indictment, he won't get them to indict. Um, there was a famous quote from a New York Supreme Court justice. Um, he said uh, that special prosecutors have so much power over grand juries that they could get them to indict a ham sandwich. So those two uh, grand juries, and and, I scored the, the, the sealed testimony and documents to one of those uh, grand juries, and I brought people into, in the book, The Franklin Scandal, I brought people into that grand jury and just showed them how corrupt it was.
0: Yeah, I mean, what happened to Alicia Owen, you've detailed that brilliantly, and that's, that's such a, I mean, yeah, the ones who did survive, it just destroyed their lives, and, you know, in, in this in this case, these young people, They're the ones who ended up going to prison and and being charged. Well, there was uh, one
1: that there were, okay, so there were two kids that the FBI pressured to recant and they wouldn't recant. One was Paul Benassi and one was Alicia Owen. Paul was indicted on three counts of perjury, which carried state perjury, which carried uh, 60 years. And Alicia was indicted on eight counts of perjury, state perjury, that carried up 160 years. And then she was indicted on eight counts of federal perjury, which carried 40 years. So Alicia Owen, this young girl who was 20 years old when she came forward, um, was looking at 200 years in prison. And she still refused to recant accounts of her abuse, which is pretty remarkable.
0: Yeah, that's very brave. And... and Uh, you know, you mentioned Paul Bonacci. Um, He also seems to be connected to the Johnny Gotch case. And I I watched that documentary a few years ago, Who Took Johnny? Um, And and you've had some updates on that case. Uh, Can can you illuminate that a little bit and how that connects over to to Franklin through uh, Paul Bonacci? um, what,
1: What happened was because the FBI and Department of Justice really worked very hard to cover up that trafficking network, because If the dominoes had started to fall in Omaha, Nebraska with that Senate subcommittee, then they would have fallen all the way to Washington, D.C., because there were upper echelon people in the Bush administration and also a number of other powerful people that were implicated as abusing these kids. So the FBI came in and, and got everybody to shut up with a lot of threats. And then people saw what happened to Alicia as she was sentenced between 9 and 15 years for perjury and did two years in solitary confinement. I mean, the the authorities really wanted to crush her. So according to state and federal law enforcement, although this network handed scores and scores of children, according to state and federal law enforcement and Wikipedia, um, not a single child was abused by this network. So and there were people that were part of this network that abducted a paperboy in 1982 named Johnny Gosh, and because the FBI was so committed to covering up that network, they also covered up the Johnny Gosh abduction. And I recently showed where Johnny Gosh was held after he was abducted, and the guy who owned the house was an inveterate pedophile. I gave that information to law enforcement, but um, law enforcement. And, and the guy who I gave it to had been a police chief in a Southern California town, and uh, he actually headed an anti trafficking task force. And he was really interested in pursuing this story, but then all of a sudden the emails stopped and the phone calls wouldn't be returned. So um, he was obviously something happened to him because I have a, a lot of evidence, and he was
0: gone home initially. And that's frustrating. You've been at this for so long, Nick. I mean, it's, uh, you know, when I say it's out there, I I mean, like, your work and people like you who've done the digging have gotten it out there for the people, and I think it's, it's up to everyone out there who becomes aware of this information to try and uh, publicize it and, and broadcast it and, and share it with people. I mean, you know, the author- obviously the authorities and the powers that be aren't going to do anything about it, um, even if there occasionally are, are good ones on the inside. Then it's it's really up to the people, you know, us as a society on how we're going to deal with this.
1: Well, we we should, actually because nothing has happened to the Epstein perpetrators, and there's a bunch of perpetrators in the Epstein case. Because nothing has happened to them, we have formed a. Uh, uh, 501c3 nonprofit organization called Epstein Justice, and your viewers can go to our website, epsteinjustice.com, epsteinjustice.com, and actually we'll give you an opportunity to to help us and help yourselves fight this battle so we don't have to uh, deal with a government that covers up for child molesters anymore.
0: Yeah, it's not. It's obviously it's not just our government. I mean, you have, you know, Prince Andrew, who was you know named years ago by Virginia Gouffre, and ultimately they settled, right? The uh, I think before she uh, shuffled off uh, down below, the Queen helped Andrew with like twelve million pounds or something to make it go yeah, away. I think it was twelve million dollars. So it's just crazy to me that people still worship institutions, you know, like the, the royal family. And they have such a deep history with, with this type of thing, you know, it's, it's like, there's two, there's like two realities that exist. There's a reality where these people do this to the, the um, innocent and the helpless. And then there's the reality where people put all these people up on a pedestal. And that's, that's probably one of the reasons why they get away with it. Like a guy like Jimmy Savile or, you know, Lawrence King, cause he was coming up in the Republican party in the early eighties. They're, they're just, they're connected and that there's a public image of them that they're they're actually great people and they do great things for the community. And even in some cases, maybe they do have things that are, you know, good for they do some good to make it look like they're they're benevolent across the board.
1: Yeah, guys like that, um, they have roads and parks and airports named after them, but uh, they're evil to the
0: marrow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if they, they can down Gary Caridori's plane with his uh, young son aboard, and yeah, it's it's awful. So, kind of switching topics a little bit. You mentioned you have a, a new book coming out about Watergate. What's uh what's the story on that? Do you have like a different take on that? Or yeah, it's kind of
1: funny. Um, my spelunking into CIA honey traps led me to um, water. At the heart of Watergate is a CIA sexual blackmail operation. And people don't know about that because the mainstream media has covered it up. But when those burglars were found, the burglars broke into the Democratic National Committee, which was housed in the Watergate um, Hotel. The Watergate was a huge office building, hotel and uh, apartments. And the um, the burglars. Okay, so if you We're a Democratic big shot and you wanted to spend a night with or spend some time with the prostitute. There was a secretary at the Democratic National Committee that that would give you an album. And this is in the, uh, the early 70s, late 60s. So we're a long way away from the Internet. But she let you page through the album. And if you found one you liked, then you could about a block and a half away was the Columbia Plaza Apartments. And, and, and that was a, a CIA honey trap. So that, and if you, so yeah, if, if you went to the Columbia Plaza and saw one of those prostitutes, you would, you would immediately be compromised. And now the burglars had their photography, they had a bunch of photography equipment and it was set up on her desk, on that secretary's desk. And one of the burglars had a key to the drawer that held the album, so, um, and there have been books that are that have been written about uh, Watergate that have talked about this, um, but I wanted to write a book about Watergate that was easier to follow than most of the books, because most of the books are tomes, and you, you kind of need to study them, you can't, you, you don't really read them, you need to study them.
0: Yeah, I'll be honest, I haven't really done a huge deep dive into Watergate, but, you know, I've heard some researchers say it almost looked cartoonish, like with leaving the tape in the door and and like they almost wanted to be caught or they wanted to make it look like something else. Is that kind of the angle you're going at to kind of cover up the the blackmail uh, component of it? Well,
1: the blackmail component was just, okay, so James McCord was one of the burglars and he also oversaw that. CIA blackmail operation. And he did his best to get caught. I mean, what had happened with the Nixon administration, Nixon was making overtures to uh, Russia and also China. And he wanted to establish, well, he wanted to start working on nuclear arms reduction with the Russians and then he wanted to open up China for uh, diplomatic relationship with with China, and, and business relationships, and the hawks in the government didn't like that at all because they didn't trust the the Russians or the Chinese, and uh, or the yeah the Russians or the Chinese. So um, Nixon was conducting these negotiations on a top secret. Um, communication system called SD-1 because he didn't want the Joint Chiefs of Staff to to know what he was doing. And actually, when Nixon in his, uh, one of his first, I think it was Memories, um, National Security Memorandum 1 or 2 or something, Nixon basically said, the CIA, the Department of Defense and the State Department will have no input on my geopolitical moves. So basically, he was telling them all to go to hell and that he was going to become a peacemaker. He wanted to be a great man. He wanted to be a peacemaker. Um, and then the so the Joint Chiefs of Staff actually executed an espionage ring against Nixon. <laughs> and, and Nixon was able to, um, that, the, they ultimately got busted. But then the CIA just started uh, Infiltrating the next administration and it was uh, James McCord, one of the guys who really hated Nixon, who was head of the burglary team that I mean, he did his best to get caught. And that was the beginning of the end for the Nixon administration.
0: Yeah, Russ Baker's uh, delved into this, Uh, another guy I've had on the podcast a couple times. And he takes – I've kind of come to think about Watergate um, through my limited understanding and research into it that Nixon was set up in a way. Yes, you know, he he was paranoid or corrupt, whatever you want to call him. He recorded everything. Um, You know, I mean, Kissinger was – you know, he had Kissinger in there. They did the the secret bombing campaigns. But um, with ping pong diplomacy, you think maybe he was kind of trying to head towards a more dovish – take on the world stage, huh? And, and
1: that's- I do. I mean, he backed some very genocidal dictators, Kinochet and, and Suharto in Indonesia, and his bombing of Cambodia played an integral role to the Khmer Rouge coming to power. So he was a little schizophrenic, but he wanted to, what he really wanted to do was become a peacemaker with Russia and China. And the CIA wasn't going to let that happen.
0: Yeah, they don't care who's in there. I mean, they, they, it seems like even when Trump said the slightest thing about diplomacy or let me look, you know, Nick, I'll get my jet, I'll go over to North Korea, I'll talk to Rocket Man, we'll have a burger together, we'll, we'll do the walk to remember. Like, ultimately, they didn't achieve anything, but there, I'm sure there's 20 million people in North Korea who were glad that no bombs were dropped. And that's a good – I don't care who the president is, that's a good thing, you know? So maybe he was trying to take a page out of Nixon's book.
1: <laughs> well, when Nixon um – Had Watergate not happened, he would have sailed into history as a great president. It's kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, and and there's an interesting recording, too, of him where he refers to the whole Bay of Pigs thing. So clearly, I mean, this is a man who had information on the intelligence agencies. Um, When he was VP under Eisenhower, he he was deeply involved in that stuff.
1: Well, he was aware that the CIA played an integral role in killing John Kennedy. Yeah. And, and actually, so the FBI was starting to dig into Watergate and Nixon essentially told the CIA, um, you know, you dig into Watergate and I'll, we'll, we'll start digging into JFK and uh, the JFK assassination. And that that was one of the counts of uh, obstruction was using the uh, CIA to, to block the uh, FBI.
0: Yeah, he was signaling. Did you hear uh, kind of in the later years of his life, he was on the outs with the Bohemian Grove? There's that, there's that great recording of him where he's like, i got I to gotta tell you, that Bohemian Grove that I attend from time to time has got to be one of the most GD things you can imagine. And uh, they they, they, didn't, they, didn't let him come back because he, he kind of – he refused to stay at one of their lower camps, and he refused to apologize. I mean, he'd been a member, I think, since probably the early 50s. So that was pretty interesting. He
1: was never fond of uh... –
0: of bohemian rob the san francisco crowd nick i wouldn't shake hands with any of them <laughs> you know he cops to it on the tape though like attending from time to time it's just funny you know the the behind the scenes of how politics actually work and you know that's why i wanted to talk to you today man cuz i really think this is the it doesn't republican democrat that's team baseball man that's that's blue team versus red team it's mostly kabuki theater the real nitty-gritty is the blackmail and the compromise these people get on each other. And, you know, phew, tragically, it, it, it hurts innocent people and a lot of the times children. So, you know, that's why I think it's important to for people to understand that when studying American history. Because, I mean, as Whitney Webb details, and I know you've talked to her, the Epstein thing really goes back to, like uh, – um, uh, what's his face there? Who? Who? Cohn, Roy Cohn. Even before him, he was part of something in New York City that was bugging okay. hotels and, and rooms, and it, it's just been going on uh, since the beginning. Of, you know, of the political process it has been practiced
1: uh, forever in this country. It's kind of like a muckraking journalist outed Alexander Hamilton for having an affair with a uh, twenty a woman who is twenty three years old and married. Um, and her husband was shaking, knew about, knew about Hamilton, and he was shaking Hamilton down. And this muckraker outed Hamilton, and um, and Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson, and Hamilton were foes. And um, so the the muckraker thought that Jefferson would give him an appointment in his uh, in his administration. And when Jefferson didn't, he outed Jefferson for having sex with one of his slaves. So. Uh, this country has had political blackmail uh, since its since its early genesis.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I read too that Nixon actually had a, a girlfriend, a Chinese girlfriend, or a girlfriend over in a yeah, Vietnam. It's, or it's difficult to know
1: um, with Nixon. Um, it's entirely possible, but he just—I don't think he was that kind of a guy. I mean, I—I I could be wrong, but uh, I'm not sure.
0: Yeah. So I don't know. (laughs) I've read, too, that ultimately through all this, you you still are hopeful and you have to be hopeful and optimistic. And I tend to agree with that. And um, I use humor to deal with all this. And I know that you also have a a good, dark sense of humor. Um, Where do you see us going as a country? I mean, the next election. And is that just a beauty pageant in your mind? Or do do you think there's there could be consequences, you know, potentially consequences for who gets in there? I mean, what do you think?
1: I don't vote for Republicans or Democrats at this point. I I think the system is so corrupt and perfidious that, um, but that's why we started Epstein Justice because our thoughts on that is, okay, we want to, okay, you can go to epsteinjustice.com and you can sign a petition that has uh, nearly 37,000 signatures. And we also have software where you can put your name in your email and where you live and then and it'll go automatically to your uh, legislators, your, your federal legislators, the the the, weather, the letter that we've composed. So what we're shooting for is a truth and reconciliation committee. And what we mean by reconciliation is accountability. Um, and I think that if enough Americans come forward, if enough Americans are part of Epstein Justice, if we drill into Epstein Justice, end of the Epstein thing with uh, a Reconciliation Commission, Um, we're going to come across a cesspool that is our government, that calls the shots, that produces laws that cause extreme wealth polarization amongst Americans, and also uh, tramples on our constitutional rights. So that's why Epsteinjustice.com is so important.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, because I, I really believe most Americans are good people and they're, they're, they're appalled by this. And when they learn about the behaviors, the elite deviance that that goes on. Um, but oftentimes we do feel helpless. We don't know what to do. We, you know, we have our, our lives, our hamster wheels, our 40 hour, 50 hour a week, hamster wheels that we're on bills. And that's one way they got us squeezed to not really look deeply into the stuff and try and suss it out. So I think that would be, that's a great tool and a, a great place to start with that. So, um, when is your when is the Watergate book coming out? A couple of months. Looking forward to that. Awesome. Well, are That's, you going to be I'm doing
1: it? about Epstein justice? But uh, but I am excited to get this Watergate book out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, onto the Epstein thing too, man. It's like like you were saying. Okay, Epstein's dead. Galen's in jail. But what about all everyone else that was involved? This is there's no, there's been obviously there's been stuff in the news about Bill Richardson and Prince Andrew. Uh, there's been names named. Um, you, of course, uh, famously released the Black Book on uh, via Gawker. Um, yes, and that that start that started a ripple effect in this thing, and that was probably what eight years, seven eight years ago. It was in 2015. I uh, I originally got the
1: Black Book in 2012, and I was pitching it to mainstream magazines, and no one wanted to touch it. And then finally Gawker. Put out the black book, and uh, I was very happy about
0: that. How did you get a hold of that, Nick? Do you mind sharing that, or would you rather not share how you got it?
1: It's uh, you got to keep your sources
0: uh, kind of. I respect funny. that.
1: Helpful, I respect it?
0: that, but <laughs> I do know for one of the black books or one address book, uh, a fellow who worked for Epstein was trying to sell it, and he and he passed away. Maybe not related to the case, but well, what happened was,
1: was okay, so. There were a number of attorneys that were launching civil suits at epstein and alfredo rodriguez was the house manager of epstein's home or and his property in, in in florida and he was trying to sell the black book to one of the attorneys that was part of the the civil suits against uh, epstein and the lawyer ultimately called the FBI, and the FBI did a sting, and um, and then he had uh, people that he thought were in cahoots with Epstein, with the children, their names circled, and then there was uh, probably uh, at least 150 victims also, and um, and then you know I called the victims, and I realized I was because at that point the the media was just looking upon Epstein like as a lone pedophile.
0: But right, I, it's just him. Yeah.
1: yeah. But, then, but then I started calling these victims and I realized, you know, he's flying kids around. I mean, he's got, he's flying them to this island. And, and at that point I realized, although I knew pretty much knew beforehand because of the legal aberrations, it was a grand jury the state, uh, the um, Palm Beach police department had found 23 victims, um, underage victims of Epstein and the state grand jury only called one and the special prosecutor skewered her. So that grand jury concluded that Jeffrey Epstein hadn't molested a single child, which is, and when, when there's those kind of legal aberrations, like with the Franklin scandal, you could tell that they were covering up something. So when I got the black book and I started calling victims, I realized this is a network. They're, Epstein was head of a network.
0: Yeah. And then that famous quote from Acosta, you know, during the confirmation for his secretary post, oh, I uh, yeah, I couldn't really do anything with Epstein. I was told he was intelligence and it's above my pay grade. And that kind of sums it up in a lot of ways. Well,
1: Acosta was the U.S. attorney. And by that time, the feds had a, a list of 36 underage victims. And Acosta was told to stand down because Epstein was intelligence. Now, here's how powerful uh, the people were that quashed that investigation. Constitutionally, there's only two people in the country that can tell a U.S. attorney to stand down. One's the president, and one's the attorney general. So those orders came from on high.
0: So who would have been in? What was that? Oh seven or 08 at the time? So that would have been Bush or Obama. Who, yeah, or... it was.
1: Well, actually, uh, four administrations have covered it up. Uh, Bush, well, one, since Clinton, yeah. Uh, trump and biden and we've got 435 federal representatives in the house and we've got 100 senators so there there are uh 535 legislators in washington dc that are looking out for ostensibly looking out for americans and not one of them has called for an investigation into jeffrey epstein Four administrations have not called for one, two Republicans, two Democrat have not called for an investigation in Jeffrey Epstein, and that's why Jeffrey, that's why Epstein justice is so important. Is you know we we have to t- take the bull by the horns and and do something about
0: this. Yeah, it's got to be the people because otherwise we're just going to continue having hearings about uh, you know steroids and baseball and uh, yeah. you know flying saucers. You know, the, the UFO PSYOP, which I think it's all BS ultimately. I think it's a distraction, just another distraction being sent down the pipe, you know, to uh, distract from real important stuff and the real essence of um, power and corruption in our country. So, all right, Nick. Well, I really appreciate your time today. Um, so, we're, apart from the, the, the Epstein project, where can people find your work? Where How can they support you? Um, you know, where can they see your stuff?
1: Can you can go to my website, nickbrinenyc.com. And uh, definitely go to EpsteinJustice.com and help us out.
0: Absolutely. And before we go, I do have a couple chats if we want to look at that really quick. Sure. All right. We'll get your response. R1 Gambler says, Watergate, CIA coup, simple as. Yeah. It was
1: a CIA silent coup, no doubt about it.
0: McCord wanted to be caught. That was his purpose. The other plumbers were dupes. Now, was that like G. Gordon Liddy? He was one of the other plumbers and E. Howard Hunt?
1: Yeah, Hunt was in on it, but uh, Liddy, they, they had bamboozled Liddy.
0: Yeah. I think Liddy just died fairly recently, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. they ultimately gave him, like, his own TV show, and he, he ended up having a pretty good career.
1: Uh, radio show, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, that's its like Oliver North, you know? Sell out your country, help sell out your country, we'll give you a, a show. Indeed. Nixon was a populist, unacceptable to the machine then and now. Okay. And we got one more yeah. here. If you look then. at what Nixon did, I mean, he tried to
1: pass universal health care for Americans. Um, he started the uh, Environmental Protection Agency. He started OSHA. Um he was going to give like a, a minimum wage allowance to people. I mean, there were, there were a number of liberal things that Nixon did. Now, I'm not a Nixon apologist, but right. I think that if Nixon ran today,
0: he'd be considered a liberal. Probably. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason Roger Stone has his, his uh, tattoo on his back there. Yes. They, they were bros. <laughs> and then he, okay. Les Wexner is the Epstein thread to pull, it unravels it all. Yeah, Wexner's definitely a key player.
1: Well, Wexner is one of those guys that Epstein justice. I mean, that that the government needs to go after. And um, until we have, you know, the thing about it is, we are going to. Ha- do we want our children to be given a government to inherit a government that protects pedophiles? I mean, do, do we want our children to, right. to be in that kind of government?
0: Yeah, that's that's the question. Uh, apart from all the all the uh, you know mudslinging and the name calling and all the sensationalism—it's like bottom line, man. All these people, a lot of these people are really evil and they're vacuous and soulless, and they're all about money and power, and they—they don't care who they got to destroy to get there. You know, it's—it's it's a sad state of affairs, but I still think um, I still think the whole deal is salvageable. You know, our country and most, like I said, most people are inherently good, and they don't want this thing in our system, so. We're going to continue talking about it, Nick. And, uh, again, thank you so much for your, you know, amazing work and research. You've inspired a a lot of people, myself included. And, um, you know, we'll keep doing our best to get it out there.
1: Okay. Thank you very much. Have a great day.
0: All right. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for watching Jackman Radio. We'll see you next time.